If you weren't here this morning and you didn't hear Tony talk about the proclaimers, is he on the CD? Eric, do you know? Where is Eric? Is he on the CD this morning? So buy the worship CD if you weren't here this morning. I thought he did a fabulous job. Where are you, Tony? You in here? Oh, he's in the bathroom. <laughs> Tony, you did a great job. Uh, I thought he did a fabulous job uh, talking about the youth prison ministry uh, this morning. I was really proud of him, so we're excited about that. Okay, Psalm 28. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the opportunity to get together, Lord, and confess just before you to ask for forgiveness, Lord, forgiveness for just our sins, not taking you seriously so many times, Lord, and going our own way. Lord, we come here just to also just to be restored, be restored by you. And Father, we just thank you so much. Lord Jesus, you say to us in your word, you came to give us not only life, but life to the full. I just pray uh, for every man and woman here tonight that they'd get a taste of that very thing. Life to the full this evening. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verse 1, Psalm 28, to you I will cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me. Lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Many times that we don't hear the Lord, it has nothing to do with the fact that he's not talking to us, but it has everything to do with the fact that there may be a sin in our life that um, we're holding on to. Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Isaiah speaks of a similar thing. It's not that he's not speaking many times. It's because we're laying hold of something in our lives. Other times, we think God's silent because we're not hearing what we want to hear. <laughs> and because we're not hearing what we uh, want to hear, we think he's being silent. Other times, there is a se uh, we, we, do, we may go through a season where it may please the Lord for our own well-being to remain silent or remain silent about a particular thing. And here David says, Lord, you got to speak lest I be like those who go down to the pit. And, and would we all be like that? That if we're not hearing from the Lord, it's like we'd rather die 
Verse 2, hear the voice of my supplications when I cry to you, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. And so there apparently was a, a practice of lifting up hands in the temple towards the holy of holies, the place where God dwells. And, you know, it is important from time to time to get, to, to, to not restrain yourself physically when you're worshiping the Lord. Lifting up our hands to the Lord. First Timothy 2 says, I, Paul says, I wish that every man would lift up holy hands in prayer. So prayer and worship and just the importance of expressing ourselves. Now the Bible in 1 Corinthians and otherwise does have something to say about maintaining a certain order in the worship service lest someone come in from the outside, an unbeliever, and think that we're out of our mind. But by the same token, uh, there is a healthy balance. And I know it's hard. You know, I, I, when I was um, saved, I was just in one of those frozen chosen churches. And man, if you were tapping your foot, it's like, wow, you know, you're radical. I remember the first time I saw someone raise their hand in a worship song. I almost, during a worship song, I almost fell on my face. But oh, the freedom that I had when I uh, just first started raising up my hands uh, in worship to the Lord. Verse 3, do not take me away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity who speak peace to their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. Give them according to their deeds and according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them according to the work of their hands. Render to them what they deserve. Now in Hebrews... Uh, chapter 10 and the verse we were in the last couple of uh, Sunday mornings we talked about draw near to God with a true heart and sometimes with a true heart meanings just being what it really is means that we're true there is just real be real before the Lord when you draw near to him and that's one thing you will find with David it's just so real you know, there's one place he goes, kick out their teeth, Lord. Kick out their teeth. And here he's like, uh, Lord, just repay them according to their wickedness. And, uh, the, you know, not necessarily everything you read in the Psalms is something that we need to imitate. But we do need to imitate the heart in other words, there are some things in the psalm where David's just flushing out and he's crying out to God and he's showing us how to be real before the Lord. Doesn't give us an, uh, doesn't give us uh, necessarily a model for specific things that we pray about, particularly when Jesus is, tells us we need to pray for our enemies and for those who spitefully use us. But we love His heart. We need to imitate and ask God for the grace to. Um, 
is to have a heart like him. Verse 5, because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hands. Sounds to me like someone who believes in evolutionary theory. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the operation of his hand, he shall destroy them and not build them up. Now, there is no reason why we cannot, with hearts full of faith, believe that this um, whole religion of evolution will be, you know, toppled down someday. This is what he's talking about here. He's talking about this. It, it, it's an act of faith where he says, you'll destroy them. Who will he, he destroy? Those who disregard the oper- or deny the operation of the hand of the Lord. It's exactly what they're doing. And um, sometimes we, we, we see these types of things, these, uh, the, the, these, um, these systems, philosophical systems or religious systems, and they, will just, they just seem to be o- so overwhelmingly powerful. We just assume that they will always be there. I am sure that a godly person living um, in the early 1500s, late 1400s, looked at the Catholic Church and just saw, wow, you know, this, this is so overbearing and it's just the indulgences that they, that, that, the practices that they used to do in simony. That means people buying uh, the office of bishop and um, indulgences, uh, paying lots of money for, I don't know, a piece of a robe uh, uh, of St. Peter or whatever. And if you bought it, you would have less years in purgatory. And I'm sure a godly person was thinking, this is going to be around forever. But it did not, you know, the, it, the, the, the whole power structure, um, the sort of the all-consuming, domineering presence over uh, at least Europe didn't stay around forever. <laughs> in the early 1500s, Luther came in, Calvin, the reformists, and really changed the landscape of not only Europe, but the whole world. So we need to, to, to look to the Lord until the rapture. We need to look to him to bring these systems down. That's why we're doing uh, the things that we do. And that's why we're, we're, we're planning this thing, uh, this presentation in a couple weeks. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord because he has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. It's a wonderful song that Calvary Fort Lauderdale puts to that. Actually, we sang it at one time. Greg, I don't know what's happened with that one, but wonderful song. (laughs) Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices and with my song, I will praise him. Notice how he says, with my song, I will praise him with my song. Do you have a song? Do you have an inspired utterance? If so, I'd like to know what it is. And one of the things that we do, uh, we've started up as a church, is people writing out a devotional and 
you know, sending it to me and we post it to the homepage of the website. And I've just been so blessed by some of the devotionals that people have sent to us. They're a song that God has put in their heart. I encourage everyone here today, if you're in um, your time with the Lord, your devotion time, and you really feel like the Lord's given you a word, don't please don't say, oh, I'm a nothing. I could never submit something that would go on the World Wide Web. <laughs> Write out what the Lord has told you. It's not you, it's the Holy Spirit. And send it my way. I'm really picky. I will do some editing probably. But um, David says here, he says, with my song, I will praise him. And so I'd, I'd love to see that if you haven't. So you can go into our, the, the homepage and just click on the devotional and you can see a bunch of examples of sort of the, the structure that is, is used there. But we'd love to see uh, that. David was just a lover of God. And thank God that David did not refrain from writing down the songs, the devotionals that the Lord had put in his heart. We wouldn't have the Psalms, the book of Psalms. At least we wouldn't have the 75% of them. Verse 8, the Lord is their strength and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Save your people, bless your inheritance, shepherd them also and bear them up forever. We need a shepherd. I thank God for being my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We shall not be and want. The meaning we there we we won't have a need that that God will not provide. He's our shepherd. Psalm twenty nine. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. You know, we have such a tendency to try to steal the glory from the Lord. There's a wonderful King James word, vain glory. I mean, they just need to bring that thing back, that word. One of the more modern translations. Eric, why don't you do a modern translation? Bring that one back. There's a whole bunch of other ones, too. Um, vain glory wonderful word and it's it's when we step into the spotlight deliberately in order to take glory from the lord it says sometimes it's just good to 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 tell god lord you take the glory not me you take it lord that's what he's doing here and he's uh, exhorting the people, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. In the beauty of his holiness. In Revelation chapter 4, if there's a description of heaven, and it says there, a description of the throne room of, of God. It, and it says there in verse 5 of chapter 4, And from the throne proceeded lightning, thunderings, voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the Lord, which are the seven spirits of God. 
Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like had the face of a man, and the fourth was a flying eagle, and the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Worship the Lord, it says in Psalm 29, verse 2, in the beauty of His holiness. So, you have these four creatures for all eternity. They, they can't take their eyes off the Lord. And what all these eyes that are all over them signify, whether that's, this is like a metaphor thing or, 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 or a picture, whether that, or whether it's just a message to us uh, that all eyes of these creatures, this all eyes were, were, is just focused on the Lord. And so you have these creatures, they, I guess, decided not to explore the universe because uh, they, they look at the Lord God and he's, he's whole and he's right and he's true and they just chose to worship him. You know, when you look at I don't know, your husband. You're probably not thinking day and night like these creatures, holy, 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 holy. You may be a great husband, but I bet you're not thinking that. Your pastor, your brother, your dad, same thing. You're not thinking holy, holy, holy. And then you're looking just at the world and you open up the paper or you go on to CNN.com or Fox.com or whatever they call it and all the situations and you're not thinking holy, holy, holy. But you've come to a wonderful place when you look at Jesus and you behold him and you say holy, 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 holy. He will captivate your attention. Worship Him in the beauty of His holiness. Now, some believe that this psalm was written uh, as David is watching a storm. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, verse 3. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars yes the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon he makes them also skip like a calf Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox the voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness the Lord shakes uh, the wilderness of Kadesh the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bear and in his temple everyone says glory 
you know, I just think the church has come to a wonderful point where there's just such unity and such focus on the Lord that this is the, this is the picture, that out of a healthy fear of God, you have everyone just shouting out glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the, uh, at the flood. So the Lord is over the flood. He's not under the flood. If you're in a flood in your life, if you feel like a flood is overwhelming you, the Lord's not under it. He's over it. He's enthroned over it. And the Lord sits as, sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. You know, you need to claim that. To claim that promise as your own. That he'll give you strength and he will bless you with peace. That he will give you strength and that he will bless you uh, with peace. And so, here in Psalm 29 you see over and over again that you know, personally, I don't think this uh, this has anything to do with David watching a storm. I just think he's just talking about the voice of the Lord and and how clear it is and how wonderful it is and and how powerful it is. And sometimes, you know, people complain, "Well, you know, I haven't heard the voice of the Lord." And there's a lot of churches that are just uh, get fixated on. Hearing a word from the Lord. I heard a guy have a word from the Lord that I'd like to hear from you. And, and that, is a, that is an important ministry when it's done in a, a spirit-led way. But, you know, the fact of the matter is we have the word of God. I don't know if you've ever, ever counted, but I'm told that the Bible has 774,746 words a lot of words. It's a lot of voice. If you complaining about, oh, never hearing God's voice, read your Bible. I don't know if everyone was here this morning, but I just shared about having a devotion time. Spent a lot of time this morning just talking about what goes into a devotion time. How to do it. How to do it and really be touched by the by the Lord rather than um, you know being having a dry time. But I got to tell you, I just love Hebrews one verse one. God, who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. So, we have heard the voice of the Lord, and it's in the Bible. It's the Word of God, the voice of the Lord. And so, uh, it is powerful. And so, let's go on to Psalm 30. It says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. It's interesting how he says, I will extol you. Meaning that sometimes uh, worship, 
extol means to just um, sort of to de declare his name, declare his majesty, worship him. Worship doesn't always necessarily just happen. It's a decision of your will. You know, it's a healthy thing for us to, before we go to church, I'm, I will worship this morning as opposed to, well, let's just see how good the worship band is playing. And if they're playing pretty good, I'll, I'll worship. No, it's a decision of the will. I, it just A prayer to the Lord is so important that we are just prayerful before you know, coming into a worship service. Sethi and I have some dear friends who on Saturday nights, they basically prepare for the service the next morning. That's what they do on Saturday nights. And I just think that's wonderful. You know, rather than like staying out all night and going to bed at two in the morning, whatever, they, they really prepare and pray and um, deliberate on how they will worship the Lord the next day. So David says, I will extol you, O Lord, and for you, for you, have, uh, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O oh Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. I wonder, I was wondering as I read that, I wonder what sickness, what illness, what, um, what was wrong with David. Definitely looks like a physical healing. We need to remember to cry out to the Lord for healing first before we're going to the doctors or whatever. Cry out to him. O oh Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Did you ever think about what, what it would be like if God was not holy? I mean, what if God was wicked? It's a crazy thought, but how just different <laughs> the world would be. I mean, there were wicked gods like Molech. Of course, we know he's not a god, but Molech was a, a god, a false god, a Canaanite god. Uh, and, and the people, the Canaanites would go and offer him their, uh, their children as sacrifices. And there would be a this brass statue of Molech, and they used to heat up the arms of Molech and, and put the babies on the arms, and the arms would basically devour the babies. It's just wicked. And I think sometimes we take for granted the holiness of God. He's just righteous. He's holy. And it, it's so, so rich sometimes just to meditate on that. Verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. You know, the Lord, because he's good and because he loves you, there will be seasons. I shouldn't say seasons. Moments of anger in which there may be discipline in your life. But his favor so his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a life. Weeping may endure for a night, 
but joy comes in the morning. If you're in a season of weeping, take heart. Joy will come if you are a child of God, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Now, in my prosperity, I said, verse 6, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. Then I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made my uh, supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? So what, what appears to be going on in verse 6 is when I was prospered, I was like, oh, it's always going to be like this. I'll never be moved. And soon, though, he, uh, uh, he found out that, no, um, you will be moved. I'll make sure I move you. And uh, he apparently his life was really on the line here. And so how quickly, the Bible says pride cometh before the fall, how quickly we can go to from the place where we're thinking, man, I'm just never going to be moved. I'm just going to be on this mountain. Verse 7 says, by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong. We just think we're going to be on it forever. But the Lord in his mercy will take us to the place where we're crying out uh, to him again. And David says, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. And then in verse 11, another transition here, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. Another one of our songs. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Forever. And so uh, Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Part of the righteous nature of God is that he delivers us. Deliver me in your righteousness. Bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. That's how I like to be delivered, speedily. I don't like to hang out and wait for deliverance. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. I think I may have mentioned this last week. Many times the word rock is translated strength. Uh, Not the case here. David's saying, be my rock of refuge. And many times there's a reference either to God being his rock or the word of God being his rock. And... um, I understand in Israel, if you've traveled to Israel, there's a lot of rocks there. How many of you have been to Israel? There are a lot of rocks there. A lot of rocks. We have eyewitnesses. There are a lot of rocks. and So there's a story about when the days of creation, God sent out two angels to scatter the the stones and went, went on his way in his area 
dispersing them evenly throughout the world. And the other, the other one just said at the very beginning, ah, forget it. I'm just going to dump them all here. I just dumped them out on Israel. So there's lots of rocks uh, everywhere uh, in Israel. The one thing it does, it affords safety and defense. In the Proverbs, it's, there's a proverb that says conies, or I think guess conies are like jackrabbits, are a feeble creature, yet they have hidden in the rock And so jackrabbits, I understand it's not exactly a jackrabbit. It's a coney. is like in between a, a, a rabbit and a rat. Anyone know about conies? No? No, no coney lovers tonight? But I understand they have no defense of their own except they have learned the secret that even though they are defenseless, they utilize the rock to defend them. And that's why... Proverbs are for us. And just to recognize that really we are. We're defenseless. We're defenseless before Satan. We're defenseless before the world. So we need to hide ourselves in the rock. Jesus is our rock. I know personally many of my weaknesses and vulnerabilities. But I also know that Jesus is a rock. I can hide myself in in the rock. It says in verse 3, For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. It's always interesting to me when you see this little phrase, for your name's sake, that, that appears in prayers in the Bible. What does that mean? Well, when I uh, married Stephanie, she took on my last name. I was really bummed out, by the way, because when I met Stephanie, her middle name was Lynn. And mine was Lawrence. So it's like, so cute. We're going to get married. Both have the exact same initials, SLC. But then what does she do? She drops the Lynn and she puts her, her, her maiden name as her middle name. So now we, we're not all cute with the same little initials. Maybe we're cute, but we don't have the same initials. But uh, anyway, she took on my name. She said she just whatever, really wanted to, her poor dad had three sons and, I mean, three daughters rather, didn't have a son. So she, uh, she changed her middle name. But anyway, she also took on my name and among other things, what does that mean? Well, it means I have, I have responsibility to provide for her, to provide for my wife, Stephanie. And one of the responsibilities she has as my wife is protecting my name. So, you know, as Stephanie, like, goes out and gets a gun and starts holding up banks and burning down buildings and kidnapping people, you know, you can't you just picture her doing that? Um, <laughs> that doesn't do a whole lot of good for my name, And so when we see, for my name's sake, protect me, it's really a similar thing. When we give our lives to Christ, we're taking on 
his name. We're taking on his name. And what the Lord is saying here in verse 3, I, I, the word of God is saying here rather in verse 3, I, I love this, is that, uh, you know, look, child of God, you have my name, therefore I will protect you. And it's just a wonderful thing to remember. That God, for his name's sake, will protect us. For his name's sake. So how are we representing God? I heard a story about a woman on a bus who began to curse and yell. and uh, I imagine it'd be really hard to be a city bus driver, I've got to tell you. Uh, and she was cursing and yelling at the bus driver and howling and whatever and because the bus driver missed her stop. and So he drops her off at the next stop. And as she was getting off, the bus driver said, Lady... You left something behind. She growled and said, what's that? Well, you left behind a really bad impression. And he's right. And I wonder what impression you and I are leaving when we get off the bus, whatever the bus may be, our work, our neighborhood, our family. We're carrying around the name of the Lord. And so David is saying in verse 3, Lord, I am linked to you. I have your name. You are my strength. Save me. Verse 4, pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. For you have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And we know that Jesus quoted this right before he died on the cross. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Verse 6, I have hated those who regard you societals, but I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. For you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul in adversity. It's a comforting thought that there is one who knows what's going on. He knows all about the hurricane that's going on in our soul. You have known the known my soul in adversity and have not shut me up into the hands of the enemy. You have set my feet in a wide place. You know, when someone's in a, a terrible suffering season and trial, there's a number of great um, psalms to give them. I give people Psalm 143, which is just so special to, to me in, in times of great distress. Psalm 31, verses 9 through 13 is another great psalm to give someone. Perhaps you're in this place tonight. For mer Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eyes waste away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body, for my life is spent with grief. My years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity. My bones waste away. I'm a reproach among all my enemies, especially among my neighbors. And am repulsive to my acquaintances. 
those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I hear the slander of many. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. So deep, deep distress. We do have neighbors that um, are sort of repulsed by us and every opportunity they get, you know, it's some joke about the preacher guy or, you know, whatever. Um, our dog got away the other day and one of the neighbors came back with it and crying, declaring for all to hear, you know, where's Stephanie? She must be off praying somewhere, you know, uh, this type of thing. And um, you will be repulsive to someone if you're living for the Lord. If you're living for the Lord, Paul says to Timothy, everyone who seeks to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus says, beware when all men speak well of you. Maybe you, verse, maybe you can relate to verse 12. It says, I am forgotten like a dead man out of mind. Meaning, you know, and, and I know some of you here today, there, I, I know some of you probably, you're basically like you're dead in your family. I mean, you've sort of been written off you're not invited, you're not welcomed because of your faith. Well, take, <laughs> take heart, you're in very good company. David, man after God's own heart, is like a dead man. It says in verse 12 that he was out of mind. It's like they just wanted just to, to forget him. Out of mind. And I do know that um, in Orthodox Jewish communities, there is, my understanding, there's still the practice, there has been in the past, of literally having funerals for people who convert to Christianity. Verse 13, for again, for I have here the slander of many, fear is on every side. You know, it's just, we don't, Sometimes we get all hyper-spiritual. Oh, it doesn't matter what people say about me, you know. They're telling me I'm a Christian and they're persecuting me, but, you know, it doesn't matter to me. Well, you know, that's not really spiritual. <laughs> you know, that's hyper-spiritual. David's here like, oh, he hated it. I mean, if you like being slandered, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you know, go seek the Lord about it. Because here you have a godly man who's like, oh, Lord, I hate this. I hate people, you know, saying things um, about me the way they are. Verse 14, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. So this, this is a wonderful place to be. Though, though everyone's talking about me, Lord, I'm just, even if I'm a, majority of one or a minority of one, I'm going to trust in you, O oh Lord. You are my God. 
My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute you. Verse 16, make your face shine upon your servant. Save me from your mercy's sake. Do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. It's a good one to just write out and put it over your doorpost. Verse 19, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in the secret place of your presence. So this morning I actually quoted this a verse. And what does it mean to go into the holy of holies for a Christian? In Hebrews chapter 10, we're told we can go into, with boldness into the holy of holies. It just means we need to just get rid of all the distractions of life, the people who may be coming against us, the circumstances that may be crowding us in, and go into the secret place, meaning the place where all that stuff's not there. It's just you and the Lord. Verse 20, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall uh, keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Ah, such a good description of, oh man, you get in these situations where there's just the strife of tongues. You know, like some family get-together, extended family get-together where just everyone starts arguing, that type of deal. The strife of tongues. Verse 21, Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before your eyes. Just love this. I love this psalm, this, this verse here, because this is so often how we, how we react. This is it, you know, we're lost, we're doomed. In our haste, we say we're cut off from before the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried out to you. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints. So now, the, the, you know, the wonderful thing about a, a man or woman who really has a heart for the Lord, they don't want to be like the only one on their own little island loving the Lord. <laughs> They're like going around to other Christians, believers, people of the faith, saying, love the Lord. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud. Verse 24, be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Now, we talked last week, last Sunday night, a lot about waiting on the Lord. The word wait and hope are sometimes, in some translations, used um, interchangeably. 
Notice the similarity between this verse, verse 24, and the, the very last verse of Psalm 27. It says almost the identical thing. It says, use the uses the word wait. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord, is what verse 14 of Psalm 27. So again, that concept of waiting means you know the Lord's going to be doing a work. And that's what hope means, right? Biblical hope is not I wish it'll happen or I, hope, or I wish it'll happen like maybe it won't. It's the certain expectation um, of something in the future. And that's what, so waiting and hoping, very similar things. You know the Lord is going to act. Psalm 32, uh, very, uh, very, I guess you could say important psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Anyone know where this is quoted? I'll give you a, one of those little stickers if you get this right. No, no, do not look at the footnote. Greg didn't look at the footnote. What? Whoa, what? <laughs> Psalm 58? Oh, it, it's quoted in... Where's it quoted in the New Testament? I think it's Psalm 57, when he visits John Nathaniel, I think. He says, Nathan is a man from... That's not a bad guess. Dr. Romans 4. Romans 4. Very good. And so... You know, I, the only reason I say it's important, all scripture is important, but it's, it's some of the scripture that Paul uses for the foundation of a lot of his teaching where he's teaching, look, you can't be saved by works. You're saved by faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him who does not work for his salvation, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David, quoting this psalm, also describes the blessedness of the man to whom the God imputes righteousness apart from works, then he quotes this psalm, uh, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So David is just, um, you know, that, that wonderful sense of worship when we know we've been forgiven. You know, it's just a wonderful thing when, when we've wronged someone and you go to them and you're just really, really worried, are they going to forgive me? And... They do, and there's a tremendous sense of relief. And well, it's how much more so with just with the Lord that sense of forgiveness. Now, it is believed, and it's it, it's probably is the case that uh, David wrote this after uh, the sin with uh, Bathsheba and Uriah. As you know, when David was supposed to be off with his troops at war, the time where kings went off to war, uh, to, war, to war, David stayed behind, was checking out Bathsheba as she bathed uh, on the roof of um, 
you know, one of the buildings there in Jerusalem and lusted after her, called her to himself, committed adultery, then tried to, uh, she got pregnant, tried to cover the whole thing up by murdering her husband. There was a nine-month period by the, between, or approximately between the time that he murdered probably less than nine, maybe it was seven months, I don't know. But between the time he murdered Uriah, very important, by the way, the Lord, I was just happened to be reading this the other day, the Lord did say to David, you murdered Uriah the Hittite. May have been battling the Ammonites or whatever, maybe it was an Ammonite spear, but he said, you murdered him. It wasn't like you were an accessory to the crime or something like that. You murdered him. So probably a seven, eight, uh, eight-month period between the time he murdered, uh, certain about a nine-month period between the time he committed adultery to the time he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. What happened? What was going on in during that time? Well, it, it, it really does appear that we have a description here. When I kept silent, verse 3, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long for day and night your hand was heavy upon me my vitality was turned into the drought of summer I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin so during that time period where David thought he was covering up his sin, he had committed this sin, a monstrous uh, sin to be sure. Um, it says his bones grew old. It just like has this groaning and this, the heavy hand of the Lord was upon him. I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure all of you in this room can relate to this. If you've given your life to the Lord, you know uh, what it's like to have a sin in your life that you haven't repented of, and it's just bearing down on you. But then it says in verse 5, when he acknowledged his sin uh, to the Lord. You know, we read, went through the book of Kings, and it is truly amazing, isn't it? Many sins who were confronted, what did they do? They were confronted by some prophet. The first thing they do is like throw the guy in prison or they killed him or whatever. And David, for all his fault, immediately basically said, you're right, I've sinned. And he confessed, uh, he confessed his transgression uh, to the Lord. Notice how it says in the Hebrew, uh, this is a correct translation from the Hebrew, it says in verse 5, I will confess my transgression and you forgave, past tense. And so, before he's even confessing, the Lord's already forgiven. And that's how the Lord is. That's how the Lord is. It's a pretty amazing story, wasn't it? Where Nathan comes to him and 
he's been hiding this sin in his heart. And he, Nathan comes to David and says, you all are familiar with the story. There were two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little um, lamb which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. Uh, and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man. And so he went to the poor man's lamb and took it and prepared uh, it for the man who had come to him. And it says that David's anger was greatly aroused. He was furious. And he says, the Lord lives. The man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore full fold for the lamb because he did not, uh, he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then, of course, Nathan said to him, you are the man, I before the King James, thou art the man. But it's, it's incredible how, um, how angry David got when he was, he, he, got, he got so angry at someone else when he was guilty of the same sin. And rest assured, when you see a Christian or even a preacher or someone who says they're a man or woman of God and there's some sin issue and they're foaming at the mouth and they're getting all red-faced and about how wicked and sinful and pointing the finger and there's, you know, blood vessels popping out and uh, this type of thing. Often, it is an indication they have the same sin in their heart. I'll never remember, I'll never forget, rather, the, the um, in the 80s where, you know, some huge televangelist types fell into sexual sin, and one of them, uh, before he fell into sexual sin, I was watching him, and he was like, talking about how Christian music artists and this one Christian music artist, this woman, and how tight her pants were. And look, I, I'm not a proponent of tight pants on Christian music. Don't, don't take me the wrong way, but he was going nutso. He was going nutso-mundo. I'm like, what is wrong with this dude? Uh, you know, and, and sure enough, within a year or two, you know, this guy... It becomes public, he's consorting with prostitutes. And that's the way sin is. We always react worse when we have the sin in our own lives. And it's incredible that David actually goes way beyond the law. And, and that's exactly you know, what Christians do in a similar situation. But David, what do you mean you're going to kill the guy? Where in the law of Moses is say you kill a guy for stealing someone's lamb? And yet Christians will do the same thing. All of a sudden they become just judgmental and ugly. And they'll just want to impose some sort of crime way, way, I mean punishment way, way beyond uh, what is appropriate for the crime. When you're right with the Lord... You're not doing a whole lot of judging pe people. 
You know, I think of Jesus where the adulterous person, the adulterous woman, was uh, brought before him. And everyone, these guys are carrying stones to stone her to death. And the one guy that had no sin also had no stone in his hand, right? And he was the most right. He was the one that did not have that sin in his heart. When you're right with the Lord, you're concerned about the person. Your heart's breaking for the person in, in the sin. You're not, you're not judging. You're not throwing stones. And so David says in Psalm 32, Verse 5, I will confess my transgression and you forgave. Verse 6, for this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be found surely in a flood or great waters, they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. So now it's uh, transition to verse 8 where the Lord's speaking to David. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Now this is a great psalm, by the way. Um, we were talking this morning about the importance of going into your devotion time and just utterly, totally expecting that absolutely 100% whatever you read in the Bible, God is meant for you to hear. <laughs> this is a good one. Now, if you happen to just open your Bible to Psalm 32 and you read this, do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which have, must be harnessed with bit and bridle. I suggest that the Lord's trying to say something to you. <laughs> because this is how we are, you know? And, and you know, I, as I, I've been through the psalm so many times, and when I, when I come to this, this, this verse, uh, chapter, the Psalm 32, verse 9, it's the Lord, I don't. I don't want to have to be one of your followers that you've got to pull around with a bit and a bridle. I don't want to be th that like that, Lord. I just want to be a blessing to you who is just, you know, you say go and I, I go. You say go to the left and I go to the left. You say, go to the right, and I go to the right. I just want to be a blessing to you in that way, Lord. Verse 10, many, sor many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Okay, wonderful, wonderful, rich, rich stuff going through the Psalms. We'll pick up next time in uh, Psalm 33.
before I close in prayer, we'll be back in uh, 15 minutes. Uh,